The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. This morning I want to talk to you about what it means to really be joyful during this time of year. You know, it's a pretty stressful time for a lot of us. So for some of us, it can be very difficult because it's, uh, family members may not be with us or uh, have passed away, and that's been a real troubling time, and it always seems to kind of come back and, and bite us a little bit when we lose family members to, to death or, or to be gone away from, from uh, home at that particular time. And so it can be a real stressful time, full of anxiety. And I thought, well, what about the joy of Christmas? I mean, if it's supposed to be a place of joy, then where do we go from here? Well, I want to take you back to the Christmas story this morning, and I want you to see how the shepherds really found great joy in Christmas, and I trust that we're going to find some principles here that are going to really be effective for us as we enter into this holiday season. So turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2, we're talking about verses 8 through 20. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. You talk about an out-of-body experience. That must have been quite a sight. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Yeah, right. I'm just editorializing a little bit, so bear with me. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Suddenly, this must have been awesome, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, talk about a worship band, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Well, let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that's happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Now, you've got to understand something here. These shepherds were the lowlifes of the society. These shepherds were sort of the outcasts, and they were completely dedicated to their sheep. And you say, well, they left their sheep. Well, there were probably shifts, so they had to have 24-hour care. And so these guys probably left their sheep with some other shepherds as they went down to Bethlehem to see the Christ child. But they were the lowlifes because they weren't, they were sort of the the non-religious group of society. They were out in the bush so often that they never really got to the temple to worship. Uh, They weren't terribly religious, and so the Pharisees kind of looked their nose down at them, and so they really weren't that popular. They really were kind of, again, that low-life society culture. So here's a strange thing, is that for some reason, God chooses to reveal himself to these guys first. Why did God choose to reveal this to the shepherds first when a Savior was going to be born, when the Messiah was coming. I mean, there had been 400 years of silence, if you recall, between the Old and New Testament, and all of a sudden, they get the first announcement that Jesus, the Messiah, was going to be born. 
It seems rather odd that he would appear to the shepherds. Why wouldn't he appear to the Pharisees? You know, he knew he had a, a, a tough hill to climb there. Why not to the Pharisees? I mean, they were the influencers. They were the leaders. No, but he, they appeared to the, to the shepherds. And, and so the reason why, I think, number one, is that a prophet Isaiah predicted it. It says in, in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 and 2, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because the Lord has appointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to announce that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time of the Lord's favor has come. You see, coming to the shepherds first was a fulfillment of prophecy. It's another way for us to put credibility into the scriptures because we see prophecy being, being fulfilled based upon what Isaiah said through the shepherds. So it was a part of God's plan, number one, that he appear to the poor, to the outcast. But secondly, God's plan has always been to reveal himself first who recognized their need. You see, the shepherds were anticipating the Messiah just like many but the shepherds had a sense of humility and vulnerability because of their relationship to culture and the society there. And so as a result, God came to them first. And isn't it interesting that God will disclose himself to those who really admit that they got a problem, right? It's the people who are the prideful, the arrogant, the people who resist the truth that oftentimes God doesn't reveal himself to because he knows that they're not going to respond. But here in this case, he reveals himself to the shepherds first because he knew that they would respond. Their hearts were pure. They were genuine. They were authentic. They were humble. They were ready. They were looking for that Messiah. Now, the shepherds were so excited, they run to Bethlehem. They leave their flocks. Now, now, as you think about this, you say, why shepherds? But then, didn't God disclose himself to you? If you know Jesus this morning, if you've come to know Christ, he disclosed himself to you. He revealed himself to you. He chose you. He chose you. He, he literally chose you and fa brought favor to you because we can rejoice in the fact that we've been chosen. It's the joy of being chosen. Do you feel joy this morning? You know, I was thinking about this whole concept of feeling chosen. And I go back to, to when I was in high school and I was a freshman and I went out for basketball. And there were 300 freshmen out for basketball that year. And, of course, they, only could, they could only save 20 guys uh, to play on the A and the B team. And I had made all the cuts and it got down to 21 and the day before the first game, I was cut off the team. It broke my heart because I wasn't chosen to be a part of the team. Have you ever felt that way once in a while? Do you ever feel like you're sort of that person that's been standing on the sidelines and you've never really felt all that special or all that unique? Or you, you felt maybe a little bit lonely or you just felt like you've been left out? You were never the superstar. You were never the one that, uh, that was on the first string. Well, what's really cool is God, if you know him today, he chose you before the foundations of the world. He chose you. He was your choice. Isaiah or Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 says, Long ago, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. You want to feel joyful? You've been chosen. God chose you. Out of all the billions of people, he chose you. He chose me. He chose you to be his son. He chose you to be his daughter. He chose you to be a part of the family. He chose you to be the one that he was going to die for. He chose you, the one that he wanted to pick out of all these millions and millions of people. He wanted you to know eternity. He wanted you to have heaven. Does that get you riled up a little bit? 
It gets me, gets me pretty buzzed, let me say, but Isaiah 61 verse 10 says, here's how he felt. He said, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. Are you overwhelmed with joy by the fact that someday along your journey, your life journey, God pointed his finger and says, I want you. I died for you, I love you, I care about you, and I want you to be a part of my family. I want you to be a part of my team. I want you to be my ambassador. I want you to be an adopted son. I want you. And that's what Christmas is all about. It's the joy of knowing that he came and he died for us because he chose you to be a part of his plan. And he chose these shepherds, these, quote, lowlifes, if you will, to be a part of his journey of really revealing himself to man as the coming Messiah. So you're God's choice. Henry Nguyen writes this, and I really like this. He said, when we honestly ask ourselves which person in our lives means the most to us, we often find that it is those who, instead of giving advice, solutions, or cures, have chosen rather to share our pain and touch our wounds with a warm and tender hand. That's what Jesus did for us, right? That's what Jesus did for us. We just celebrated this moment just a few minutes ago where he gave his life. He endured this pain, and he took our pain on the cross. Don't you feel special this morning? I hope we do, because God chose you. And if you haven't been chosen, you're maybe one of these people this morning that have been standing on the sidelines, and God's pointing his finger at you, and he says, I want you. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I want you to be a part of my family, but you've got to respond to me. You've got to, you've got to say yes to me. You've got to say, yeah, I want to be a part of the team. And if you haven't done that this morning, you have a great opportunity this Christmas, because God may be reaching out to you this very moment and saying, I want you. I love you so much. I died for you. Do you want to be a part of the team? I would love to have you. And he chose you. But you've got to respond to that choice. And if you haven't done that this morning, I encourage you to think about it before we even end the service. But there was also not only the joy of being chosen, there was the joy of this discovery. It says here, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, come on, let's Go to Bethlehem. Let's see this wonderful thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And it says they ran to the village and found Mary and Joseph and their baby lying in a manger. It was almost like they were on this treasure hunt. It was like God had announced that this, this baby was being born and he was the Christ. He was the Messiah. And they had to go and find this treasure. They had to go seek him. It kind of intrigued me. And I thought, you know, it would be kind of interesting to see if there are any treasures still in Arizona. And, and I, I went online, and it's fascinating. There were different places. But do you know, in the 1800s, a party of successful prospectors were returning from the Big Sandy River to Prescott with a load of gold dust and nuggets held in several canvas bags. Taking a rest and water break at Granite Dells, about four miles north of Prescott, they were soon attacked by Indians. Later, the lone survivor will return to the site with a search party on several occasions. However, they never found any signs of the buried gold. Some have speculated that the Indians dug up the treasure and reburied it somewhere else in the same area. In any case, the treasure remains somewhere in the granite dells waiting for discovery. Aren't you all motivated this afternoon to go out to the granite dells? 
And then there, Granite Mountain, the strong boxes of at least two stagecoach robberies are believed to be buried somewhere on the slopes of Granite Mountain, northwest of Prescott. So if we see a bunch of cornerstone people at Granite Dells and Granite Mountain this afternoon, we know you've been out looking for a treasure. It gets kind of cool. It's kind of exciting. But wait a minute. Is Jesus your treasure? Is, is he the buried treasure in your life? That's a scary thought, isn't it? Do you really see the opportunity of really discovering Jesus Christ as finding a treasure? In fact, as you think back in that moment that you all discovered Christ in your own life, as you reflect back in that moment, where were you at? Were you at the end of your rope and God just took you out of the depths of despair? Or was it like, did the blinders come off so that the whole new world was discovered for you when you came to Christ? Did you have a great sense of relief and peace, knowing that your eternal destiny was finally resolved in your life and you knew you were going to heaven? Or were you tremendously relieved that your sins were totally forgiven? Can you imagine the joy of the shepherds being the first to discover the baby? What joy that must have brought these people. When you reflect back when you came to Christ, was there great joy? Was there great joy in discovery? I would encourage you to, to go back and remember that day that you came to Christ. And, and reflect on that moment because, you know, some of us, it's been many, many years since we came to know Jesus. I was laying in bed this morning at 5.30 and I was thinking back on that day where I really discovered Christ for myself. And it was really fun for me to think about that moment. And I, I remember feeling the touch of Jesus literally almost in my life. And it was so just revolutionizing. It was just so exciting for me. It brought tears to my eyes when I remember that day. That joy of discovering Jesus for myself and to really rejoice in that moment again. And sometimes we forget that first love. We forget what it was like before we knew Christ. And I would hope that this Christmas time, as you think about the Christ's birth, that you would go back and think about your birth, your spiritual birth, and reflect on it and say, you know, how exciting. Well, I remember that day. How cool was that? It was like finding a buried treasure. It was find, finding that, that hope in my life for the first time. So I want to encourage you as an application just to go back and rehearse that day in your mind. Take some time this week to just go back and say, what was, remember what it was like? Remember that joy or that, that, that change, that transformation that came? Was it really a treasure? Was that joy of discovery is what I'm saying? Well, the, the, the shepherds really discovered the Christ. And what did they do with that? Well, if you read on, it says, the shepherds told everyone what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. See, there's joy in telling. There's the joy of telling. The shepherds were bursting with excitement. They were totally uninhibited about what they'd experienced. Their telling was an overflow of their personal experience. See, they had experienced something supernatural. They, they had seen these angels appear to them, and, and, and they had experienced something that would be totally life-changing, and they knew that everybody needed to, to hear this story because it's what everybody was waiting for for over 400 years, and they knew it was true. And everything was just how the angels described it. I mean, they were pumped. They were jazzed. 
They were telling everybody about Christ. Have you experienced the joy of telling somebody about Christ lately? You know, it's when you start seeing statistics, you realize that probably only 20% of people in their lifetime who know Jesus have ever shared the gospel once with somebody. It's, it's scary because here we are, quote, we've discovered this treasure, but for many of us, it's buried treasure. And people don't know the joy of knowing Christ like we do. And it's not necessarily an overflow from us. I, don't, I think sometimes we forget the joy of telling. I, I, I got to share this story with you. It, it's, it's too good to, to, to not share this with you about a pastor who was on an airplane. And I, I think you'll enjoy this, but it, it just describes to me the joy of how a person can really share Christ. And maybe you don't have this kind of gift of communication, but I just wanted to read it to you. It says, the pastor dressed in a comfortable pair of old blue jeans boarded a plane to return home. He settled into the last unoccupied seat next to a well-dressed businessman with a Wall Street Journal tucked under his arm. The minister, a little embarrassed over his casual attire, decided he looked straight ahead and for sure stay out of any in-depth conversation. But the, the plan, plan, plan didn't work. The man greeted him, so to be polite, the pastor asked about the man's work. Here's what happened. Well, I'm in the figure salon business. We can change a woman's self-concept by changing her body. It's really a very profound and powerful thing. His pride spoke between the lines. You look my age, I said. Have you been at this long? Well, I just graduated from the University of Michigan School of Business Administration. They've given me so much responsibility already, I feel very honored. In fact, I hope to eventually manage the western part of the operation. So you're a national organization, I asked, becoming impressed despite myself. Oh, yes, we are the fastest growing company of our kind in the nation. It's really good to be a part of an organization like that, don't you think? Well, I nodded approvingly and thought, impressive, proud of his work and accomplishments. Why can't Christians be proud like that? Why are we so often apologetic about our faith in our church? Well, looking at my clothing, he asked the inevitable question, and what do you do? Well, it's interesting that we have similar business interests, I said. You are in the body-changing business. I'm in the personality-changing business. We apply basic theocratic principles to accomplish indigenous personality modification. <laughs> he was hooked. But I knew he would never admit it. Pride is powerful. You know, I've heard about that, he replied hesitantly, but do you have an office here in the city? Oh, we have many offices. We have offices up and down the state. In fact, we're national. Yeah, we have at least one office in every state of the union, including Alaska and Hawaii. He had a puzzled look on his face. He was searching his mind to identify the huge company he must have read or heard about, perhaps in the Wall Street Journal. Well, as a matter of fact, we've gone international, and management has a plan to put at least one office in every country of the world by the end of this business era. I paused. Do you have that in your business, I asked. Well, no, not yet, he answered. But you mentioned management. How, how, how do they make it work? Well, it's a family concern. There's a father and a son, and they run everything. <laughs> it must take a lot of capital, he asked specifically. Well, you mean money, I asked? Well, yes, I suppose so, but no one knows just how much it takes. But we never worry because there's never a shortage. The boss always seems to have enough. 
He's a very creative guy, and the money is, well, just there. In fact, those of us in the organization have a saying about our boss, he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Oh, he's into ranching too, asks my captive friend. No, it's just a saying we use to indicate his wealth. Well, my friend has sat back in his seat musing over our conversation. What about you, he asked. Oh, the employees? Oh, there's something to see, I said. They have a spirit that pervades the organization. It works like this. The father and the son love each other so much that their love filters down through the organization, so we all find ourselves loving one another too. I know this sounds old-fashioned in a world like ours, but I know people in the organization who are willing to die for me. Do you have that in your business? I was almost shouting now. People were starting to shift noticeably in their seats. Not yet, he said, quickly changing strategies, he asked, but do you have good benefits? Well, we have holdings in a mansion that's being built for me right now for my retirement. Do you have that in your business? Not yet, he answered wistfully. The light was dawning. You know, one thing bothers me about all you're saying. I've read the journals, and if your business is all you say it is, why haven't I heard about it before now? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. After all, we have a 2,000-year-old tradition. Wait a minute, he said. You're right, I interrupted. I'm talking about the church. I knew it. You know I'm Jewish. Want to sign up, I asked. (laughs) Why hasn't he heard? That's the question. Why hasn't he heard? And it's really sad because most of us have never experienced the joy of telling. That's why they haven't heard. You know, I get the biggest joy out of sharing my faith. Have you ever had that opportunity? Isn't it the best? It is the best. It's the best thing on earth to be able to tell somebody. And these shepherds were so pumped, they just ran down from, ran back from Bethlehem and told everybody they saw, guess what, guess what, guess who I just met, guess who I just saw. They were so excited. There's joy in telling. And no, maybe we're not as clever as this pastor. But there's a lot of people who need Jesus, amen? And it's our job. It's our job. It's our privilege because we've had the joy of discovering a treasure. And it's Jesus. And we need to be excited about telling. When's the last time you told somebody about Jesus? But there's a fourth thing here that I see. There's the joy of a strengthened faith. In verse 20, it says, The shepherds went back to their fields, glorifying and praising God for what the angels had told them. And because they had seen the child, just as the angel had said. This strength, this ability to have this confidence, being, if you will, the low lives of society, came, I think, for three reasons. One is, is that, first of all, they listened to what the angel said. You see, we're never going to be strengthened in our faith unless we listen to what God is telling us. It starts with listening. They listened. Of course, they didn't have much of a choice. I mean, when these angels appeared, it must have rocked their world. But they listened to those angels, and they followed what the angels had tasked them to do. They took the time to follow the angels' instructions. You see, our problem is we don't have our faith strengthened because, number one, we're not a good listener, and secondly, we're not terribly good about following the instructions. 
But they followed the instructions to a T. They went straight to Bethlehem. And then thirdly, God proved himself faithful when they followed. You see, sometimes we want God to prove himself faithful before we follow, right? We want God to reveal himself and to prove himself, say, come on, God, do your thing. I want to know because I'm not going to do anything until you prove it to me. Well, here's the deal. These guys followed and then God proved it. And we need to learn some lessons from this. If we're going to find joy and strength in our faith, then we need to start following and let God reveal himself to us. And I can share numerous things in our own lives where we didn't know, we stepped out in faith because we did what we, we th- felt like God was telling us to do, and then he proved himself to be faithful. So stop sitting around waiting for God to do his thing, like a little genie in a bottle, and get busy and take some steps, and then you'll see how God will reveal himself. And that's the joy of having a strengthened faith. You listen to what God is saying, you obey what he says, and you find him faithful in the process. It's very simple. But it's not the chicken or the egg. We need to be faithful first, and then God will reveal himself. And many of you can probably attest to that same thing that I can in my life, where you've seen God work in your life. Why? Because you listened, and you were faithful, and then he revealed himself. And that's why they were strengthened in their faith. See, the shepherds' joy came because of their obedience. When we're disobedient, we don't have a lot of joy, do we? When we're obedient to what God's telling us, we find joy. So is there joy in your life this morning? As we anticipate the Christmas, you're going to hear from John the rest of the month about how Jesus was more than a man. It's going to be a great month for you. And as we anticipate Christmas, I pray that we enter it with a whole new perspective of joy. And to go back to the shepherds and realize, God, number one, he chose me. He chose me. He chose me. Are you kidding me? He chose me. But he chose you. You're part of his team. And that's something to bring you great joy. But he not only chose you, you had the joy of discovering a great treasure. I, I love it when Mary said, when the scriptures tell us that Mary treasured this in her heart. Do you treasure Christ in your heart? Because he is. But don't bury the treasure. Let people discover it just like you did by telling them out of a joy of knowing him yourself. Let's pray together for a minute. Father, I thank you for this message that you sent to the shepherds. You know, we're all a bunch of sheep, Lord. But we all have a shepherding responsibility. And I just thank you for this illustration of how you first came to that person who was humble enough to respond. And there may be somebody sitting here this morning, Lord, that you've chosen, but they haven't responded. You want them. You've called them. You've drawn them to yourself, but they're hesitating. They're standing on the sidelines, and they don't want to get in the game. But this morning, as the captain of our team, you're calling them, and you're calling them out. If that's you this morning, 
and you've not responded to Jesus' call and choice in your life, you have an opportunity of a lifetime to discover the buried treasure. If that's you this morning and you want that in your life, would you lift your hand up? I'd love to pray for you. God's been choosing you. God's got his hand in your life and you've been sensing him, but you've been sort of resistant. And he's saying, I want to reveal myself to you if you're just willing to open up your heart. If you're just willing to listen to what I have to say today and respond. If that's you this morning, you can just pray a prayer in your own life and just say, Jesus, come into my life and change my life. I, I just I want to follow you. I want you to be the Lord and King of my life. Forgive my sin. But then there's maybe some of you that I would encourage you and challenge you to be praying for that neighbor or that one person over this holiday season that you would want to tell about Jesus, that you could experience the joy of telling. So I challenge you to think about that this holiday season, that one person that God's put on your heart. It may be a family member, maybe a neighbor, it may be somebody you're at work, maybe your own kid. I don't know who it might be, but if you start praying intentionally now and taking that opportunity and seizing the moment, what fun it would be. What joy would it bring you for this Christmas to have that person discover Jesus because of your testimony? Wouldn't that be awesome? Wouldn't that be cool? That'd be the best Christmas present we could have. But then some of you feel like you've been kind of weak lately and maybe feel like, you know, I just haven't been really walking that steadily with the Lord. I want you to start by listening and then being obedient. And you're going to see all kinds of ways that God's going to reveal himself to you. Father, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for the shepherds who were faithful enough to respond to your call and to have the great discovery of our Savior, Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.